grade, you are invited to attend Children's Church at this time, and you can head right out through the back doors where your leaders are there ready to greet you. Well, good morning. Well, Cody is not feeling well this morning, so I encourage you to pray for him. So that means that you are stuck with me. They brought the lefty out of the bullpen. So so here I am. In case we haven't met yet, my name is Steve Grissom, associate pastor here at South Shore Baptist Church, and it is my joy to preach God's word this morning. We are going to be starting a sermon series on prayer in earnest next week, but we are going to mention, in fact, focus on prayer this week. So turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 4. We are going to be living on a prayer. And um, for the youth, for Mike, I've heard nothing but great things about Reset. And in fact, we are going to be focusing on rest and sleeping by the end of this, this Psalm, verse 8. So all the youth, if you are at Reset, you get a pass, you can sleep right through this sermon. Totally fine. In fact, you will be obeying. And in fact, we could think that you're praying. Totally fine. So... When you think of a prayer warrior, who comes to mind? I have a couple people in my mind. And while there are many people who pray, few know the intimacy of prayer. At times in my life, I pray more regularly. Maybe there's an emergency, a situation in my life. But then at other times, I pray seldomly. Prayer is not just a discipline for the Christian life, but it is a way of life. Short prayers matter too, long prayers and all the prayers in between. It's a way of life as you desperately cry out to God and we are crying out to the God who made us, who hears and who responds. Tim Keller says this, he wrote a fantastic book on prayer. He says, prayer is awe, it is intimacy, it is struggle yet the way to reality. There's nothing more great or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. That's quite a statement. Prayer is intimate as we talk to our Heavenly Father with our personal thoughts. Prayer is worship as we trust in the triune God who's all-glorious. Prayer is resting in the God who plans our steps. Well, that last aspect is what we're gonna focus on today. I love the Psalms. Might be my favorite book of the Bible. I toss back and forth between that and Philippians. Maybe you love the Psalms too. One of the reasons why I love the Psalms, it reminds me I am not alone. I hope it reminds you of that too today. They reveal God's presence in the difficult moments of life. The Psalms whisper hope in my ear, reminding me God is near. So with that introduction, let's look at Psalm 4. There's only eight verses. This is a Psalm of David. He prays and he cries out these words. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. And hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. 
but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, we're so thankful that it points us to you and we find rest in you. We find that you alone are our righteousness and our strength. And so we pray that you will be gracious to us as we call out to you. We pray that you will show us Christ, how he is an anchor for our souls. We pray that you will make us more like Christ. We pray that you'll remind us of your goodness when trials and temptations surround us and we seem to be sinking in despair. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the lifter of our heads. You are the one who puts joy in our hearts when our hearts are torn and we sleep and we lie down knowing that you are the one who makes us dwell in safety. So even when we have nights where we are tossing about, when we can't seem to sleep, when the trials seem to not end, help us to turn to you and to rest in you. This is our prayer. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, a short psalm, but a great psalm, and it reminds us, again, of our great God. Well, you see here in Psalm 4 that it's written by David. David instructs us. He's written about half the Psalms. And David points us to find peace, rest, and refuge in God. The purpose in my preaching today is that as we pray that we can rest in God even when fear surrounds us on every side. This past week, I had an email, I had a conversation, multiple conversations just talking about fear, and fear can seem to surround us on every side, but we can rest in God. So in these several verses, we see a simple psalm of history as it relates to King David's life, but it relates to our, sto- to our stories and our struggles as well. In these eight verses, we see David pointing us to the Lord's nearness in his distress. We see God's presence in the messiness of life. But ultimately, David is trusting God in the moment of panic as he resets and rests in the Lord. So there's three critical observations for us to implement in our daily prayers. As we pray, the first, you're never gonna believe this, but it's right in verse one, we are to call on the Lord. Right there in verse one, we have to talk. We have to call on the Lord. In every relationship, there must be communication. Coworkers talk to complete a project. Parents talk with their children. 
maybe even when they don't talk back, but they talk with their children. Siblings talk with one another through conflict. In marriage, spouses talk as teammates because of the special relationship with one another. But in every relationship, we are talking. Well, here, there's a special relationship between the children of God and God. We are calling out to him in desperation and in dependence upon him. He's the one, again, who made us, and he's the one who's caring for us, who's sustaining us. So in the opening verse, David calls out to the Lord with these words. He says, answer me when I call. There's some expectation there. There's confidence there that God is going to hear him. He says, oh, God of my righteousness. He's saying, you are the God who hears me. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So in in other words, he's saying, you've been faithful in the past. Lord, would you be faithful today? Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This is not a whiny demand for attention. It's the plea to God who hears and who responds. So this opening verse of Psalm 4 shows us God's nature. He is righteous and he hears us. His righteousness is more than a description. It's a declaration. David knows that God will act on behalf of his people. David knows that God will respond on behalf of his people. We see that in Psalm 18. So God is righteous, and he righteously defends his children. So David calls boldly upon God, and this is instructive for us as we pray, and it's a privilege for us as the children of God. Do you recall a time when you prayed with urgency to God? Maybe it was this past week. Maybe it was yesterday, or maybe it will be tomorrow. We call out to God with desperation, Lord, would you hear me as I pray? So we have a Father, we have a God who not only hears us, but who desires to hear us. So the first thing is that it's imperative that we talk to him, that we call upon God. That's what we see in verse 1 that prayer is a form of communication where children adopted by God cast themselves on the mercy of God. One of my favorite prayers in the New Testament is in Luke 18 where it says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a prayer that we can pray over and over again. So in verse two, David continues his plea and his petition to the Lord and we see a bit of his situation and his distress. He says, how long? How long, O Lord? Now, there's times in the Psalms where we see this phrase, how long, O Lord? And it usually points to pain and suffering. But here, how long describes the deception of his enemies. So in other words, how long will they live in their lies? How long will they live with this deception? So he talks about this group that's deceived, and they're referred to in verse 2 as men. Well, these men were prominent citizens. They were wealthy, they were powerful, and they are seeking David's downfall, and they're seeking after false gods. So as they are deceived, David prays for them to believe the truth. So he's saying, God, open their eyes. Do we pray for our enemies in like fashion? If not, why not? 
We're tempted to ignore or reject our enemies, but we are called to love our enemies. Jesus says this very thing in Luke 6. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So in our words, our deeds, and even in our prayers, we show our enemies who the Lord God is as we believe in his power to change anyone. So first, we call on the Lord. Second, we know the Lord. In verses two through five, we see who the Lord is. We see that he has set apart the godly for himself. We see that he hears us when we call. We see the character of the Lord in verses two through five. It's imperative that we fix our eyes and our thoughts on what is true. The enemies of David were to recognize his position as well as his power And David was chosen as king and set apart by the Lord. The Lord has shown him favor, not just him, but all who trust in God through faith. So we are to know who the Lord is. Look with me at the second half of verse 3. It says that the Lord hears when I call to him. The Lord looks after his own. And he hears the cry of his children. This reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 3. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So hear this word, believer. The Lord God hears you when you pray. The Lord God hears you when you pray. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christ follower this morning... Let me beg you to run to Jesus, the Savior. Let me beg you to run to Jesus, the Savior. He will not refuse you. He will not turn you away. Jesus doesn't stiff arm those who run to him. He welcomes them in his arms. Jesus' heart is drawn out to you. Would you run to him today? Would you see that he is gracious and that he is forgiving? He will forgive you, he will cleanse you, and he will make you new. So let me beg you, let me encourage you to run to Jesus this morning. Well, then we come to verse 4. We see that we are to know the Lord, we are to see what the Lord does, we are to hear, we we know that the Lord hears us, but then verse 4 is a bit puzzling. Let me reread it. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. One commentator called this verse problematic. You don't say. (laughs) I found it problematic as well. But problematic or not, it is for our benefit. The peculiar part of the verse are the first few words, first two words, be angry. That's normally not words that we tell our kids. Go ahead, be angry. Have a great day. Well, that's not the focus here of David's prayer. Now, now we must recognize not all anger is sin. We know that even in in Jesus' own actions. Not all anger is sin. There's a righteous anger, but most of the time anger is expressed. It does reveal our sin. But here, as we look at this phrase, it's better to view the word as to tremble. 
to tremble or to be agitated or to be disturbed. The idea of trembling is to be coupled with the command to be silent. So as David's enemies are trembling in silence, they are commanded to not sin. This word is for David's enemies. So tremble at who the Lord is and do not sin. The goal in David's counsel is a call for them to repent. Tremble, be agitated, don't sin, turn. It's a call to turn to the Lord God. So though the emotions are raw and strong here in verse 2, they can be redirected when we submit our will to the Lord God. Just a word about emotions. There's a lot of emotions here in this psalm. Emotions are not bad in and of themselves. In fact, emotions can be very good, and they reflect our humanity and our creativity, and we should take stock as how to respond to our emotions in the emotional roller coaster of life, it's vital to turn our emotional needs to the God who knows us and that we can trust in. So now let's turn to verse 5. We're halfway there in this prayer. And in verse 5, we see, we see David say, Offer right sacrifices. Again, calling out to this group this group of men, and he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. The sacrifices in righteousness are not sacrifices out of duty, but sacrifices out of delight and out of devotion. This is a sacrifice in response to God's grace. This is obedience that's fueled by God's grace. Sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Well, we're to call on the Lord, we're to know the Lord. The last section, we are to rest in the Lord. In verses six through eight, we see rest and trust are linked in the psalm as we believe God, as we follow God. But, as we just sung about, there's so many trials in life. As we wake up, as we go to sleep, as we go about our day, there's so many trials that barrage our hearts and questions that invade our heads in our daily walk. And so we are to rest in the Lord, but as they say, that's easier said than done. Questions are raised in verse six. You can, you can hear David write these questions. He says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Maybe questions that are asked of you. How can you believe in God? How can you trust in him? because of this situation or that situation. And then another question, it's a, um, as he says, who can show us anything good? We see the questions continue in uh, verse six. He says, who, who will show us some good and who are the many? We wonder who the many are. Are they cynics or are they disciples with doubts who followed from a distance? I think these are disciples with doubts that are following from a distance. These are supporters who are honestly questioning the circumstances of life. I think we all can relate to that at one point or another. This is why I love the Psalms. They teach us that it's okay to pray, help me. I don't know. I'm afraid. I'm alone. I'm angry. I'm sorrowful. Or even, do you hear me? 
Why is this happening? We can pray all those things while we wait helplessly at times, or so it seems, in hope. So the reason I believe that many are supporters is because of the words that follow. David prays, let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. In other words, remind us of your goodness. So may the blessings of God be evident to those who follow by faith. In verse 7, David responds to the corporate lament, God is not absent. In fact, he is very present. He says, you have put more joy in my heart. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You are the one who gives me joy. You are my joy. And so he responds and says that the Lord is here. More than the harvest of grain, more than new wine to savor, God has shown us joy. He gives favor to those who trust in him. And now we see the confidence in verse 8. From verse 1 where he says, answer me when I call. You see his desperation, his cry. And now in verse 8, a quiet, still confidence. David writes, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. So David's confidence is conveyed in this verse. Even as enemies lurk, even as questions swirl, even as relief doesn't come, we can rest in the Lord God. Relief doesn't always come quickly, yet we can find confidence in the Lord. Our confidence, my confidence can fluctuate at times, not because God's not there, not because he's not good, but because of our own uneasiness. Perhaps we take our eyes off of the Lord. Perhaps we are distracted. But we find peace in verse 8. I can lie down and sleep. Sometimes when we lay down to sleep, that's when our minds get turned on. Like, I was falling asleep watching the TV 30 minutes ago. Now I get in bed and I can't go to sleep for an hour or two. Our minds swirl with anxiety about something. Maybe it's a project that's due tomorrow or health problems or finances or political unrest and the list goes on and on. Before you know it, it's 1 a.m. Worries can seem to shout loud in the middle of the night. Yet in our tossing and in our wondering, God's word can shout as well. Shona Murray, she writes this in her book, in the silence of the night, when anxiety crawls into bed with me, it's a good time to exercise faith in the biblical truth. Let it wedge between anxiety and me. When I worry about my family, I believe God when he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. When I worry about my lack of spiritual vitality, I believe him when he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When we lie down, we recognize we're not in control. When we lie down, we recognize that we need God and that we need rest 
when we sleep, we are aware that we are not omnipotent. We are not all-powerful. We need to be recharged. David Murray, he writes this in his book, fabulous book called Reset, very appropriate. He says, few things are as theological as sleep. Show me your sleep pattern and I'll show you your theology because we all preach a sermon in and by our sleep. For example, if we pride ourselves in sleeping only a few hours a night, we preach the following truths. I don't trust God with my work, my church, or my family. Sure, I believe God is sovereign, but he needs all the help I can give him. If I don't do the work, who will? Although Christ has promised to build his church, who is doing the night shift? Very true. Then he talks about how important sleep is in work and in sports. I loved his sports analogy. He says, sleep is so good. Athletes recognize the importance of sleep. Tennis champion Roger Federer sleeps 11 to 12 hours a night. I can already hear some youth going home. See, it's okay. I can sleep all day. (laughs) Usain Bolt, he sleeps 8 to 10 hours a night. Former NBA star Grant Hill said, I think sleep is just as important as diet and exercise. If I don't sleep 11 hours a night, it's not right. If those stars don't get it done, Tom Brady, the goat himself, says that he goes to bed at 8.30 each night. That's normally when I'm turning the Apple TV on. (laughs) Besides the emotional, intellectual, financial, physical, and other consequences, we would be wise not to ignore the spiritual consequences. If we are bitter, cynical, and quick to criticize, you or I may need more sleep. I was talking to somebody this morning, and she said, Steve, you are so busy. I said, yeah, I probably should listen to my sermon this morning. (laughs) D.A. Carson says, we are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied to our spiritual well-being, to our mental outlook, to our relationship with others, including our relationship with God. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do, the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. So let's wrap this sermon up. Ultimately, as we sleep, as we lie down and rest, it should remind yourself and others of your Savior. I want us to see how this can remind us of our Savior and it illustrates salvation. How does this remind us of our Savior? Well, the Gospel of Mark, which we just read from, tells us Jesus slept. That's just as important as Jesus wept. We see Christ's humanity. Well, how does this illustrate salvation? What are you doing when you sleep? Don't say snoring. Besides that, we're doing nothing. Perhaps this reveals why Jesus uses rest as an illustration for salvation. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So today, put your trust in the Lord by resting in him. You are not alone. The Lord hears you, and you can rest. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, how you remind us that we need you. You alone are the Lord, even though we forget at times. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to turn to you, to call upon your name, to rest in Christ. It's so easy to worry and to fret and to be anxious. We all are anxious on one degree or another. And so, Lord, we turn to you and we rest in you and we trust in you. So, Father, I thank you for your word and help us to see that Christ is our sure foundation. And we trust in him even now. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and let's sing in response to the word.